Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 128 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm interviewing Verena Emblin, who was recommended to me by Ollie Lester of episode 110. And I love that you can hear the ticking of Verena's clock in the background. It reminds me of the song by Hart called Alone. I hear the, t- I'm not going to sing to you actually. I hear the ticking of the clock. I'm lying here, the room's pitch dark. I won't sing because I can't sing. Um, Verena says, and I'm not reading all of her bio, um, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes 24 years ago. The prospect for me was very bleak indeed. A failing pancreas, high blood pressure, or even toe or possibly foot amputation. The only treatment was medication or weight loss. So I chose weight loss and embarked upon a very long and dispiriting battle with my weight over the next few years. Each annual review to check my blood sugars and other aspects of being diabetic, I was encouraged to consider medication, but I always refused in favour of losing weight. I had many successes over this time, but once I'd achieved a healthy weight, I resolutely failed to maintain it. This was largely due to my lifestyle, which included a very stressful job with long hours and lots of traveling and two teenage children. Food, particularly sweet food, was my comfort, and I rarely went through a day without consuming a biscuit, cake or sweets. When I retired from work, my eating habits changed and I did manage to lose a little weight. But despite all my efforts, I could not get down to a healthy weight and try as I might to eat healthily. My weight was stalled. So let's go to the podcast and hear the rest of her story. If you want to read the rest of her bio that she sent me, that's in on the show notes. Welcome, Verena, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's going to be, I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic conversation today. But we always start with where in the world are you? I am in the beautiful New Forest in Hampshire in England. Um, My house is about a mile away from the coast and half a mile away from the New Forest. Oh, fabulous. It's a beautiful location. And today in January with the sun shining, it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm very lucky. And do you get down to the beach much? Yeah, I have a very large dog who likes to go and play in the sea. So we're down there a lot, even in all kinds of weather. So and we can see the island, the Isle of Wight from 
there. So yeah, we, we are very lucky to be here. Yeah, fantastic. So why don't we start by telling, why don't you tell our listeners um, how you got started on low carb and what led you there? Go back um, well, I, uh, um, it's a bizarre story, really, because this time last year, um, I was packing away a football table um, that uh, we use at Christmas, you know, with the twisty handles. Yeah. And I dropped it on my leg in the process of dismantling it. And my legs swelled up like a tree trunk. So I went to see the um, practice nurse. <clears throat> and she said, well, your blood pressure is really, really high. Um, and I said, yeah, the only way I can get it down is to lose weight. And I just can't get the weight off. I've tried everything for years and I haven't been able to shift it permanently I go in onto a diet lose a bit of weight get fed up doesn't work try again um and she said yes like we all do and um she said well we have a social prescriber in the surgery now and he's had a lot of success with low carb would you like to meet with him and I said, well, yeah, I'll try anything, really. So I met him the next day. We had an hour's meeting. And ever since then, it's been fantastic. And it's been life-changing for me. And since I've been following a low-carb diet since last year, I've lost 16 kilos and um, 14 centimetres off of my waist. Fantastic. So I'm really pleased. I'm still... I've still got a way to go, but if I hadn't dropped that table on my leg, I don't think <laughs> I would have um, been where I am now. You wouldn't. You wouldn't probably have found that. So that's for the, for our um, non-metric listeners. That's thirty-five pounds that you've lost in a year. Right, right. Um, and my daughter is a big low-carb keto fan, and I've dismissed. I've dismissed it with her. Because I said, how can you possibly be living in a healthy diet, eating all that cream, all that fat and all that meat? It can't possibly be good for you. I'm going to stick with my porridge in the morning and my uh, normal unsuccessful methods. (laughs) (laughs) So she carried on losing weight and I didn't. So when um, when I spoke to Ollie, the um, social prescriber, um he explained to me this whole issue around fat um and why fat is good for you and why fat's important on a low carb diet so i understand it now but it's taken taken a while for me to get my head around it i must say it is a bit of a a mind-blowing concept because Mm -hmm. even though i didn't buy into um eating low fat because i just like fatty things a lot um i always had that it's bad for me it's bad for me at the back mm. of my head because that's what we've been brainwashed with for the last 50 years mm. Mm. absolutely it's hard, to get, it's hard to get your head around I and think so little and often this notion of permanent sort of snacking and little and often as long as it's healthy it's fine and that was actually one of the key messages that I got from Ollie was that because I'm diabetic um every time I eat it raises my blood sugars and so that approach is not a good one at all if you've got type 2 diabetes 
Yeah. So Ollie is a social prescriber near where you work. And we had him on the podcast yep. in episode 110. And he was the one who suggested I talk to you. So <laughs> um, so how long has your daughter been low carb? Um, she's in and out of it at the moment. She's not on low carb, but she has been on low carb for about three years. Yeah. And she's had a lot of success with it. But um, one big stumbling block for her has been working shifts and having a very demanding job. And as her focus has shifted to that, her low carb has, her keto has sort of gone out the window, really. So she's trying to get back onto that. But that's a key message, really. I think you have to put yourself first. If you're going to do this, you've got to really focus on your needs um so um she's trying to get back onto it again now i'm sure she, will if she wants to yeah she will. she will and one of the things that when you said you know she told you about low carbon keto and you didn't listen one <laughs> of the things dr ken berry says is if somebody has changed your nappy or diapers um they're not going to take any advice from you <laughs> so yeah because you changed her nappy you <laughs> She's not important. <laughs> well, she's not important. But <laughs> it was it's been life changing for you. Yes, it has. It certainly has. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot more energy now. Uh I sleep much better. And that came in really quickly. Um, so I'm not a great sleeper. Um, but I just sleep really solidly now. Um and the most important thing that's happened is that I've reversed my diabetes in yeah. six months. Wow. So After long, 21 years. Long, I was going to say, how long were you diabetic? 21 years. 21 years. And I've tried everything. Um, the one that really got my blood sugars down before was uh, no food, uh, just shakes. And my blood sugar did go down uh, quite rapidly to just above normal levels. But it's not sustainable. You, know, you can't live on juices and um, packets of milkshakes mm-hmm. so um and the other difficulty with that approach is that because there is absolutely no fat in your diet at all there's no food there's nothing my hair fell out my skin went really dry and I and the weight came off so quickly I looked awful I mean I look I thought I looked great because from my perspective in the shower I was thinking oh yeah great it's hardly anything of me now but when I look at photographs from that time, they're horrendous. I mean, it just, your body just, it's like an old balloon with all the air's gone out and you just crinkle up. So um, I wouldn't recommend that. I know for some people it works and uh, that's fine, but it's not sustainable. And that's really where I have not been successful is that I haven't been able to stick to a diet that works because diets don't work basically no they're no, just a <clears throat> scheme i think so mm. when you were doing the shake diet um did you have any blood tests at that time had your um hba1c your blood sugar had that changed at all yeah i had uh, i had my uh hba1c taken when i was at 111 kilos i don't know what that is but it's very fat um, we can look it up let's have a look one times 2.2 2. 
244 pounds. Right. Well, that was the heaviest, heaviest I ever got. Just under 17 stone or something like that. And what I, what I, I was diagnosed 21 years ago in 2001. And um, the advice then was, well, yeah, this is a lifelong, your, your pancreas is going to pack up at some point. You could have your foot or your leg amputated. uh, And, you need to reduce your sugar intake. And that was it. And there was no real um, education around it. And so I had six monthly checks for my um, blood sugars. And I used to, I was not on any medication. um, But over the years, I would quite frequently get to the threshold where I needed to have uh, medication prescribed. And I would stop and say, no, no, I'm not taking any meds. I'm going to get some weight off. And I did. And I did that, oh gosh, countless times. Um, and the, I mean, I've used everything, you, you know, all the diets we know, I've mm-hmm. done it yeah. um, <clears throat> over that length of time. Um, and nothing, nothing was sustainable. Um, and my blood pressure was always an issue. And then um, it became a cycle, really, of um, giving up and thinking, well, I'll just live with this. I'll just be a fat person. Um, And then feeling ill and then my blood sugar's going up and then going on a diet again, a different diet, going to groups, doing it online, you know, everything. It's just so punishing. Um, And you feel so miserable as well, you know, because it takes so long to see any decent results um so after running russian roulette with my blood sugars for years and years um this has really helped me understand how i can control that and there are several tools that i use to help me with that and i've just got to i mean it's not not gone it's not in rem- is, I'm in remission yes um and so I've got to keep a check on that and um it's so prevalent now because of the diets we're exposed to because of the eating habits we've got and what I what I was struck with Ollie um what what he showed me he showed me some um research evidence from um David Unwin yes and the uh, graph that he showed me looked like um, a, a line going up and down, like a pulse line, that sort of curve up and mm-hmm. down, up and down. And he said, that's what your blood sugar's doing every time you eat anything. When you stop eating, your blood sugars go back to normal or they lower. And then as soon as you eat anything or, or drink certain things, it shoots up and it takes time to come back down again. So my body was in a constant state of going up and down dealing with this enemy that was coming in really um and that really struck a chord with me that picture that graph I thought gosh that is really completely turning on its head this notion of little and often which is what my mum blessed she my mum always used to have that uh, as her mantra and she was very slim um but I can't stop once I start I can't stop and then 
also with the um, shakes and no food period, um, part of the support is to totally remove food away from you. So you're not thinking about it. You just have the shakes and that's it. You don't have anything else. And you go to groups with um, support for the psychology of what makes you want to eat. And they use the word addiction a lot. Yeah. And I thought that was a bit extreme. How can you possibly have addiction to sugar? But I now know, uh, particularly after this Christmas, that that is absolutely what I've got because I dropped my guard over Christmas and it was like a floodgate opening. I just couldn't stop. So I can't have it in the house. I mean, it sounds pathetic, really, but it is just one of those things that I can't go near. And there is now a lot of science to back it up that this is, a, uh, it can be, for some people, it can be an addiction. And once I start, that's it. I'm on a slope and it's very slippery. Um, so I've had to just completely chuck all of that out, give it away. Yeah. So do you have anyone living with you? Yeah, my husband's here. And interestingly, since I've been on keto, he's put on loads of weight. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason for that is he's a, a meat-eating heterosexual. So he is um, a, and he loves cooking. So he likes to cook his own food. And his portion size has got completely out of control since I'm not in charge. And I do my vegetarian keto cooking and we do cook together, but we eat completely separate foods a lot of the time. Um, and so I'm trying to get him reined in now to see if we can get some of that weight off. Yeah, because it's not so much the quantity, it's the what the actual what he's eating. So yes. he could eat, he can still eat his meat, but he'd probably just have to cut out the pasta and the potatoes. Yes, and the, yes. And the portion size, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> he might get away with it just cutting out the other <laughs> so um you just said that um you're vegetarian so yeah. um can you tell us a bit about that were you vegetarian before you were low carb I was yeah oh. I've never been a big meat eater I don't like it really and um increasingly I I stopped eating it I went off pork when I was pregnant 38 years ago so I stopped eating pork I didn't really like lamb because it was fatty, so I stopped eating that. And then incrementally, I just stopped eating it until I was down to chicken and fish. And then um, there was a documentary I saw uh, on fish, Seascape. That freaked me out about fish, so the fish went out. <laughs> and then there was another film I saw about husbandry for chickens. That freaked me out, so that went as well. So it was a gradual um, withdrawal from um, meat eating and increasingly I found vegetables are taking more space on my plate so why not just go with it so to begin with I just stopped eating meat and ate loads of vegetables but then I began to look into different ways of using vegetables in cooking and so um, I've broadened my consumption um, I've read the work of Tim Spector, who no. talks about, you know, 30 vegetables a week, which sounds absolutely impossible until you actually do it. And then it's easy. Um, and 
um, I must say that has really helped my digestion and my general um, body functioning, really. I just feel much cleaner and better with that. And then I uh, a couple of years ago, I signed up for a Riverford Fetch Box. So that was life changing. I get this gorgeous, gorgeous selection of vegetables every week delivered to my doorstep. Yeah. And the lovely salt. And um, I've planned my food around that. I plan my menus around that. So rather than thinking, oh, what do I fancy, which is what used to happen, how about a plate of chips and this, that, and the other? Oh, I, I now look at the vegetables and think, right, okay, what can I create from that? So they're seasonal, they're organic, and they're beautiful. So, as it, and I feel really good having had that change. Yeah. Uh, but the, for those not in the UK, Riverford Farm is a organic farm, and then they just come and deliver veg is it every week. Yes, every week. You, can, you can change it. You can have it whenever you like. But I have a small box every week for the two of us, and, and it's seasonal. Do you find, though, that the veg is quite um, starchy and high-carb veggies? Well, I've had to adapt the boxes. You get lots of different options, and I've eliminated the one with potatoes in it. Um, and uh, there is things like squash, pumpkin, that kind of thing. Uh, they're quite starchy. But... You know, I'm not eating a great volume of them. Um, and there's more benefit in having that variety, I think. A little bit of it is not going to make a massive difference. Yeah. Um, so I generally, I mean, today I'm having a, a masala curry that I made yesterday. Um, and that's got um, about eight different vegetables in it with a, with a, curry sauce and chickpeas mm. it's going to be 25 grams which i know for some people that is not low but i keep it below 50 because i'm not eating meat so i need protein i need sustenance yeah and the sustenance is the key really if you're if you're keeping well fed then you're not going to be picking or feeling hungry yeah. I mean, 50 grams is still low carb and mm. it's not keto. Oh, it's not keto, um, yeah. It's still low yeah. carb. And like you say, as a vegetarian, you have to have higher carbs. That's, you know, you... so how do you get your protein? And do you do you check that you're getting all the essential amino acids to you um, combine foods to make sure you're getting all the amino acids? How does your protein side work? Um, well, to begin with, I didn't really measure anything um, because I was just trying to eliminate. It's, it's sort of a, a staged process, really. I eliminated pasta, rice, potatoes, all of that carby stuff. And um, I just focused on having a good vegetarian meal with protein, a certain amount of protein, generally from pulses, uh, cheese, eggs, uh, full fat yogurt, some milk. Um, that's pretty much it. Seeds, nuts. Yeah. Um, so there's protein in there. And um, as I've gone off the rails a bit over Christmas, I am now counting my 
protein and my carbs. And actually, you don't need a lot of protein. Um, I mean, two eggs, cheese, milk, um, um, cream, yogurt, all of those are, are substantial, aren't yeah. they? So that, that's how I do it. And I don't feel hungry and I only eat twice a day. I do time-restricted eating and I don't feel hungry. And that's been a complete revelation to me because boxing off a bowl of porridge with half a ton of stuff in it, like fruit and nuts and God knows what else, before I went to work, um, I'd be starving by 11 o'clock. Yeah. (laughs) And now I don't eat after 7 o'clock at night until one o'clock the next day in the afternoon so that's 18 hours and i'm fine yeah it's amazing isn't it i know you get used to go from one meal to the next thinking about food i I just think often and about because you were saying how dieting a lot and uh, up and down and yo-yo dieting and different dieting and i was thinking at the time you were mentioning it about all the brain power Mm. that goes into thinking about dieting Mm. and the energy that you spend on thinking about food and worrying about food and all that thing that you just lose when you change to low carb yeah you sort of your whole body relaxes into it well the key for me really was having met with ollie and i met him again you know he had my initial consultation with him was sort of give me the outline the second time I met him a couple of weeks later was really right so how we how do you want to do this um the big switch for me was that this was not a life this is not a diet this is a lifestyle change I'm going to change how I eat what I eat when I eat and just get on with life and stop obsessing about weighing measuring counting all of that nonsense so i didn't do any carb counting or protein counting at all to begin with Uh um but the difference upstairs in my head was quite extraordinary because i just set myself a sort of structure in the day that i would um i mean i was having three meals a day to begin with and then gradually reduced the breakfast time till later and later and later until i just didn't have any I read the work of Sachin Panda about time-restricted eating. It just seemed very doable for me. Um, so I'm not even thinking about food until about 12 o'clock. I, don't even, I do not think about it. I have black tea, black coffee, and get on with what I need to do. And then I always allow time, around 12 o'clock was around time to prepare my food so that it's well done I mean I'm not working now so it's much easier for me in that respect um and then I have something about six o'clock but I have my main meal during the morning so one o'clock and that usually ties me right over until six and at six o'clock I have very little I have a bowl of soup or an omelette or something light and then by seven o'clock I'm done and then I sit on my chair in the kitchen and I work out what I'm going to have the next day. So, and that is all the thinking I do yep. about it, really. So you're saying your lunch is your main meal. What? What? Yeah. I mean, you said you have a curry. You've got a curry prepared. What's what other things do you prepare? I have um, stuffed vegetables, like stuffed peppers or uh, squash. 
I have um, I've discovered um, these noodles, uh, bare naked noodles. They're made out of a Japanese root um, shirataki. Shirataki noodles. One. They smell absolutely disgusting when you take them out of the bag. <laughs> you rinse them off, don't you? And they 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 fry up. They fry. So that feels like you're having a bit of bulk. Um, I use corn. So I make sauces and I put um, like a minced corn in there. So I have a spaghetti bolognese um, or I can have um, sausages, veggie sausages with uh, a pile of um, different roasted vegetables. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're pretty substantial meals and they don't take a massive amount of time. The curry I made yesterday that took me about an hour to prepare um and today i haven't got to do any preparation because i bulk cook and i freeze stuff so um i just don't really give it a lot of thought but what i do if i feel i'm sliding like if i go to have a coffee out and i think oh i better have a biscuit with that i think i i say to myself Slim people don't have biscuits with their coffee. <laughs> people just have nice black coffee I like that. and read a book or chat to their friends or whatever. So I just keep talking to myself um, in my head about what slim people do. Um, and having worked alongside very slim people in the past, I know exactly what they do. They just don't eat as much as I used to eat. They don't. It's really very simple, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it is how you're brought up and you know yeah. I was I was telling your fair that my granddad was massive my dad yeah. was big and and my dad had big meals and then so when I was young and I was maybe early teens it was like it was a good thing to eat a big amount of food you know that was mm-hmm. considered really good so I eat a lot I am yeah. I do eat a lot and I absolutely, that absolutely resonates with me because my parents were through the war. I was born in 53. So we were still sort of feeling the impact of post-war. And my dad was a gardener and he used to grow all our own vegetables. So we always had um, five vegetables on the plate and the meat portion was tiny, but we had puddings. We always had puddings because puddings filled you up. So we'd have these stonking great um, steam puddings that would take all day to cook um, with custard. And, you know, we were, we were, none of us were fat, the four of us, uh, four kids in the family, none of us were fat. And, and when I look back at what we had, we had healthily and we had a bit of everything, but there was no snacking and there was no eating anywhere then at the table. That was the only place you ate food. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I've kind of, over the years, I switched the proportions of what my main dinner was to what the pudding was, and the pudding sort of took over. Um, and it was comfort for me as well, because, you know, I had a, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was going through a pretty tough time. Um, my mother was terminally ill, and I was um, helping her. I had a very demanding job, but I was full-time um deputy head in a busy south london school um and my daughter who'd hit teens had gone completely bonkers like a lot of adolescents do 
Um, so those those things all powering in on me, it was really, really challenging. And food was a comfort for me. I'm not a drinker. So, you know, it, that's where it all really went wrong. And that's when I was diagnosed with diabetes because I just completely lost control of my diet and, and wanted the, the comfort of that. And we forget the impact that stress has on the body mm-hmm. overall on term, in terms of hormones and how our body functions and all the things that it does. When it's stress, when it's stress filled with stress, it just doesn't work as well. So that's, mm. you know, when I put my weight on was through a stressful period of work as well. And I was also working at, you know, at night and sometimes a couple of times going 24 hours without sleep, all these things where mm. I'd gone to work in the day and then ended up working all, all day and all night. Um, we don't necessarily recognize that that has a huge impact on us. Mm and I felt it like a physical pain in my tummy it it must have been adrenaline or cortisol or something horrible you know with with all the stress and the only thing that seemed to stop it was devouring vast quantities of biscuits and bread and cakes it was almost like it was a big hole in there and I needed to fill it up um and so my blood sugars went absolutely through the roof um so yeah it's uh, it's tricky because you you want to find comfort wherever you find it don't you when you're going through tough times like that and um I think we know a lot more now about the impact of stress on your body and what the result of that can be yeah and then and then using food as a soother which Mm. Most of us, many of us, especially in this world, where we are now in the low carb space, many of us use have used food as a soother. So yeah, not definitely. Hunger. Mm. And Louise often talks about having a party in her mouth, and that's what got her through. And and you know, it's like how do you how do you switch out of that? And I mean, you've now finished working, so it's. Um, I guess it's a good time to be able to focus on yourself and not have lots of stress. Yeah. And I don't think I could have done it as, as well as I I've been able to um, if I was working full time, but then, you know, we, somebody used the analogy of the aircraft with me, you know, when you, when you get on the aircraft and they say, if this mask come down, you put your mask on first before you attend to your, relatives your child whatever and you need to look after you first before your family in a way not in a selfish way but in a sustaining way because you're useless I was useless to everybody at that point in time I was just so stressed out and running on empty and just um it would have been good for me to have just focused more on what my physical needs were not just my emotional needs um and so I think that would be one of my tips actually is just don't feel guilty about allowing yourself time to think about what your needs are and how you're going to meet them Mm. setting up your systems around your day to help you get that right and I think probably people listening now um will have 
done that at times and then other times it slips you know you get mm-hmm. in things go on in your work life or home life or family things happen and you you put that aside a bit and you forget mm-hmm. to look after yourself yeah yeah because actually it's even more important at that time to to remember that and to bring it back in so if somebody's listening here's your reminder to <laughs> take the time to yeah yeah back in and find a way even if it's only a small part of your day or a small mm. you're doing one step at a time mm. and it's really challenging especially for working mums I think I mean it's difficult for everybody because getting your diet right is hard work but I think for working mums it's particularly hard because you you automatically want to look after everybody else's needs before your own and then when it's time to look after your own you you run out of everything yeah <laughs> yeah and then you can't and then it gets really hard to cope at that yeah point. yeah so Verena when um up until the point where you'd um met Ollie before that so you'd been 20 years of diabetic you'd been yo-yo dieting up and down how were you feeling at that point before you dropped that table on your leg <laughs> Um, well, I was feeling pretty desperate, actually, because I kind of, like a lot of us who have weight issues, um, we try and rationalise how we can just accept that and be like that. And I think with things changing in society and and pe- the divergence and the range of different people that are in the media and um, around us, we we can be feeling maybe a bit more comfortable about that, that it's not really that bad that um, I'm this way. So it's not really, uh, I'm not really standing out from the crowd because <laughs> there's a lot of overweight people around. And it's, so it's going to be okay. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to be this person and I'll just find a way of dealing with it um but I I that never sat comfortably with me I knew that I was risking my health the doctors had told me countless times when I'd got up to the threshold of needing medication for diabetes that I was playing uh, fast and loose with my health there and my um one of my doctors was very stern with me um, and said that and, and wanted me to monitor my blood pressure more effectively. And I argued with him um, about the fact that, you know, this is one set of data. So that was what I used to do in my job. You know, you didn't you didn't make massive decisions on one piece of evidence. You gathered a lot of evidence and then you made your decisions. So I argued the toss with him and said, you know, one piece of data, you can't um, you can't think that I'm going to go on medication. So he said, OK, um, I would like you to take your blood pressure for a period of a month and gave me all the stuff I needed to do that. And when I went back, um, before I gave him my data, I said, I feel absolutely fine. There's been no change, but I'm feeling fine. And I don't know what all the fuss is about because what's the worst that can happen? And he said, well, there's only two. So you're actually right. So there's only two things, heart attack or stroke. And I thought, oh, God, well, I'm just being a complete idiot here. I'm just being in denial about what I'm really doing to myself. Mm. And that sort of, 
I put that monster away a few times and then it would keep coming back out. And then my sister, who was eight years older than me, uh, she'd had diabetes as well from an early age. And her condition had progressed. She also had kidney um, kidney disease. And uh, she was in her late 60s when she had to have part of her foot amputated because the circulation is... Um, your blood thickens with diabetes and the circulation is affected and your blood can't get through to your feet and back up your legs again. So that, that led to her having some surgery on her foot and that didn't cure her. Cure her. And then it, she ended up having to have part of her leg amputated. And that really was the beginning of the end of her life because mm. she was in bed or in a wheelchair she was at home with carers it was a really grim horrible way to live and her whole life became uh, a medical issue you know she she was hardly able to enjoy anything really because there was always an appointment to see somebody coming around to, to change this and her dressings and and it was just awful and eventually she went into care and died 18 months later through kidney failure mm-hmm. and I was with her all that time and all that time I was thinking this could be me this could happen to me you had all that weight weighing down on you yeah and uh although we we have very different lifestyles um the writing was on the wall you know uh and I had been told this countless times but actually living it was a different matter and so that's that was really at the time when I dropped my leg on the table on the table on my leg um I I was in a state of sort of well what what am I going to do it sounds so easy to just get your diet under control but it's not about that is it? it's about the life you live and how you organize the systems around helping you to do that mm. for me that's been the key um and as a teacher you know you've got to be um, very organized with 30 kids all doing different things any of parents out there who had to do home education during covid lockdown will now understand what that's like um and so I just approached when I when I decided this is a lifestyle change and not a diet, that's how I approached it. I, I got my plan out, you know, I, I worked out what I, what I was going to do. I read lots of science around why this is a good idea. Mm. Um, and also about habit change, because yeah. my go to um, I'm feeling a bit cold. Oh, well, I'll have a biscuit and a cup of tea. Yeah. I'm feeling fed up. I'll have a slice of cake. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. The food was the answer to everything. Yes. Um, and it's very much a part of your family life as well, isn't it? Eating together and having friends around and special celebrations and going out together and having food together. Yes. Um, so... It becomes 
something that is part it's got to be part of your systems how are you going to manage that i have to say vegetarian low carb eating out is virtually impossible oh really Um, i was just thinking i was actually as you were just saying i was just thinking i bet vegetarian is probably something i should look at because you do have some carbs but if you're gonna say well i'm gonna have some carbs because i need the protein everywhere you go now is all vegetarian stuff there's a lot out there there is a lot out there and things have changed massively um i'd be cautious about uh, pre-prepared stuff because you read the label and there's quite a lot of other things in there yes but um I, I just think the world's has woken up a bit to the fact that there are different alternatives to meat eating. Um, the, the problem is when you go to some restaurants, they've got one option that's vegetarian and it's usually very carby, a risotto or a pasta dish or a lasagna or something. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we've tracked down a couple of places that do a reasonable menu. But even then, there's only three things to choose from. So everyone else is reading the menu for five minutes and I'm doing, I'm done in about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I find that when I go to a restaurant, I don't really want steak because, you know, a steak is a steak. Mm. But if you don't have steak, there's quite often not a lot. And I'm finding now, and I don't know if that's a difference in area where we are here, is it's really vegetarian focused. There is hardly any meat on the menus. Really? Yeah, really vegetarian focused. Mm. Like that it annoys me and it's really frustrating, mm. but you'd probably love it. You'd probably need to come. Well, I might not because a lot of vegetarian cooking in the catering industry is ladled with sauce and um, vegetables that are very carb heavy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, what, what Ollie has um, advised me to do is look at the menu before you go. Yes. And then ring them and say, could you do it without this or that? Because they are having to cater. I mean, there's loads of different um, types of diet now for health reasons. Um, And simple tweaks make a big difference. And I use, um, I mentioned the Riverford Boxes before. I use their um, website, got a fantastic array of um, recipes on there, uh, all free, all on the internet. And you can adapt those very easily to low carb yeah because they're already vegetarian so you just take out a couple of things on there that are going to be too carby um but yeah it does take a lot of organization and planning ahead that's the key for me anyway yeah um and and when i tell my friends i'm not eating anything for 18 hours in a day they nearly dropped in what how do you manage that oh my god you must be starving but as soon as i start eating that's when i get hungry because it's like oh right body's going okay off we go lunch, yeah and it's lunchtime and i think so if you regularly eat at one and six you'll get hungry about one and six or yes exactly or around 12 when you start preparing the food because yeah. that brain is going into food mode yeah absolutely and, and so you you find that you your body is ready for that food now because that's yeah, definitely eat. yeah yeah and i've i've observed my family um not in a preachy way but just i've just watched them around food and that's what i was like you know, picking all day picking snacking uh, 
yeah, eating virtually non-stop yeah. um, if there's food around, just picking, oh, I fancy a bit of that. And, and my husband's now, he was always very slim and very, very tall and very slim. And he's put on a massive amount of weight since I've been doing this. <laughs> you gave it all to him. Here, you have my weight. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have to get him on the low carb. Yeah, well, I think his time, his time will come. And I think he could do it really easily because in all the slimming groups I've been to over the years, the men always lose weight much quicker than the women. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. they don't have to they don't seem to have that long running they it starts straight away they lose loads yeah but i'm generalizing there cutting out the beer cutting out the beer yeah that can make a massive change yeah yeah i haven't got that problem (laughs) (laughs) so over the time you've been learning this last year tell us some of the people that you've come across that have really inspired you or some resources that you think might be worth sharing with listeners? Well, I'd have to start with Ollie, um, going for my Creep of the Week award here. He, um, as a social prescriber, I didn't even know these people existed. I think it's a new thing that happened as a result of pressure on um, GPs. And he's been absolutely brilliant because he sends me, and all of us that are in his group, he sends links through... uh, YouTube videos, bits of research, um, things to find, recipes to find. Diet Doctor was one of the big um, uh, introductions that has helped me. Um, And we meet once a month and we talk together about, you know, how it's going. And it's so different from other diet groups that I've been to because it's only once a month it's not every week there's no weighing none of that we just talk about uh, what anything he's found that he thinks might be useful aubergine cake was one that we had a little while ago (laughs) Um, he said you'd never know it was aubergine I thought well I'm gonna trust you on that one (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and also people sharing tips that they've um that they've tried and being able to tell their story about how how much weight they've lost and how much better they're feeling it's just a really nice environment so all of those links that ollie sends us i think they're really useful and they've led me down all kinds of different routes so um uh james clear was one of his recommendations around habit change yeah, and I've, I've read his book several times now picked bits out of it and i've found that to be really helpful and he talks about systems um and not having goals but having systems set up so that you can reach your goals and for me the big one for me was having uh so how i how food comes into the house how it's stored how it's accessed and how i plan to eat it so that's quite a lot but you know it's been really life-changing having it's just like being back at school you know (laughs) i know exactly where everything is and i exactly who's doing what um and i can go out in the playground a couple of times a day so that's great (laughs) um also (laughs) 
the um, Dr. Chatterjee yes. podcast. I love that because he has some really interesting people on. And then it's not too long and you hear some really good um, experiences people have had. And I like the fact that a lot of it is backed by science. It's not, um, you know, some of the things you see on the Internet are just a bit quirky. This is based on evidence, based on science. And there's, in the case of David Unwin, there's nine years of data to back up this approach. The NHS hasn't quite caught up with that yet. No. I'm uh, sure they will. Yes, I'm sure they will. I'm no, sure they I, will. I don't know if, if they will because I don't think they really want to solve the issue. Well, if you follow their food uh, plate, you know, the, within the three portions, yeah, you know, carbs are as good as, as protein uh, and as good as vegetables and fruits. You know, there's ma- a massive, massive emphasis on carb for energy. And, um, who is the one that talks about eating lots of vegetables? I've forgotten his name. Um, Tim Spector. Tim Spector, thank you. Um, he completely debunks this calories in, calories out, yep. which is what the NHS is running on at the moment. That is their, their advice. And, again, that took a, quite a while to get my head around that one. How could that not be right? That's what we've all been told for all of this time. Yep. All you have to do is starve yourself um, and then you'll be fine. And that, you know, that's why it's not sustainable because you can't, can't, just, do, can't do that, can you? And it's taken um, all these years to work out that it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's, you know, there's a huge amount. I mean, Ollie sent us, I asked him um, about the fat issue and calories in, calories out. That was my initial kind of nemesis i couldn't get around how that couldn't be true and um he sent me a youtube video uh and i can't remember what it's called now but it's about fat and 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 the myth around fat Mm. and how your body needs fat particularly at this time of year because you start to get cold with the cold weather and you need that um fat in your body um and if you're not eating carbs your body uses fat for energy. So yeah. the carbs are almost like a barrier to your body being able to use the fat that you've ingested and to help keep warm and to keep active. So um, it was just like a light bulb moment then when I, that, and you know, my daughter had been telling me this all, all those years, which I studiously ignored. Um, and also um, the the calories in, calories out. Different foods, different calories. It's yep. Different different ways in which they go through your body. And because I eat a lot of pulses, lentil soup, for example, is pretty heavy on carbs. But they don't get digested, so they pass through your body very quickly, and they don't work in the same way as other high carb foods do. So. It's much more complicated, isn't it? I think we're all realising that now. Yeah, it is. So how is your daughter now that you're low carb? Is she is she happy? Well, I have to say she's a bit envious because 
<laughs> and I don't like her to be envious of me, but she was shocked at how quickly it came off. And because she's had a really, really pressurised time over the last 18 months, she's her, her whole, all of her systems have gone out of the window because she's been working very long hours and shift work and long nights and very stressful. Um, and so... Uh, she's worried she's worried because she's put on a lot of weight and she's also uh, she knows that um, keto demands a, a lot of planning and attention and discipline to a degree um, and she's not in a place to do that at the moment so mm-hmm. she's trying an alternative for a limited period of time and then getting back on keto she's doing um meal replacements and uh low carb one low carb meal a day for a couple of months and then she's going to get back onto keto because it definitely worked for her definitely yeah but she's very supportive of me and she's given me loads of keto cookery books only about three pages in each of them are any good for me because they're all about eating meat chicken and fish (laughs) yeah i bought a keto the ketotarian book which is by dr will cole ah and even that has a lot of fish in it yeah so i think people struggle to find how do you get the right balance of low carb and protein and being vegetarian and Mm. i know it's doable Mm. well the cardesi books on reversing your diabetes and putting your diabetes into remission all of their recipes have got protein and carb information um and i'm using those a lot and i count my my carbs now um because i a little bit off piece i've got about another one and a half kilos to get off to back to where i was um but i think with being vegetarian you are going to need more um protein because you're not you're, otherwise you're going to start feeling hungry but I have lost the weight doing that yeah I have lost you know within six months I'd lost 15 kilos so and I've sort of plateaued out a bit now um but with the plateau reading James Clear he talks a lot about how you not just about eating but when you are establishing new habits you are going to get a long period potentially of nothing changing and then suddenly it does change Mm, and i understand that happens with keto too that you can get to um a plateau with any weight loss actually uh you can get to a plateau and nothing happens and then suddenly it goes again so i'm not giving up but you know i know that is um part of the course really it's about the compounding effect of what you're doing and 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 your body sometimes I think your body needs when you've lost a lot of weight your body needs to reset mm. to come right it needs to stay here for a bit yeah before yeah, it's yeah. ready to move on to the next stage yeah um I know and that's the that is quite a difficult place because whilst you're losing weight it's um you've got that motivation to yeah. keep going and keep doing but when you plateau that becomes much harder because now you're not seeing that movement on the scales or the difference in your clothes, you're not noticing that difference, then it becomes harder to sustain 
really well. And I've noticed that over the last couple of years, how I was really good in the beginning and didn't eat anything off plan. And now when once I've plateaued, it's like, oh, well, I'll just have, I'm not changing weight anyway. I'll just have a little bit of this or I'll just have a little bit of that. And it might not be that often, but it keeps creeping back in. And I think we then sabotage what we're doing. I absolutely identify with that because that happened to me around about um, September, October time. We went on holiday uh, to Portugal where the abundance of fruit and vegetables out on the markets is fantastic. You go to a restaurant and they're not even featured. So I don't quite know what's happening in that country. They must eat it all at home and then go out for it. They're, they're very big meat and fish eaters in Portugal. So um, I was really stumped while we were there. And, and I came back and I hadn't lost any weight. And that what you've just described is exactly what I did. I thought, oh, well, nothing's happening. I'm weighing myself every day. Nothing's happening. I'll just have a biscuit with my coffee or I'll just do this and just because nothing's happening. Yeah. And then you get the carb creep. So how I tackled that now, because I had I had a couple of months of that, is with the systems. You know, the, you, I've got a routine, I've got a timetable. I know all about timetables. <laughs> <laughs> this is not playtime. We are doing our work. And that's what I have, that's how I approach it. And I plan. I stick to what I planned as, as much as I can. Um, and I try not to fall into those traps by talking to myself and saying, well, some people don't do that. Yeah, I love that. Some people do. <laughs> I won't introduce you to my friend, Debbie. <laughs> you probably won't listen to this, but all she eats is she's just like this. I mean, now we're in our late 50s. She's yeah slightly get maybe two fingers wide um so for the listeners I'm just holding up one finger she is really skinny um (laughs) but she lives on crisps and chocolate oh gosh and hard fruit so um yeah (laughs) oh gosh yeah and doesn't eat very much but she doesn't eat very much yeah (laughs) it's a journey isn't it and it's a lifelong journey and I think um I've I've I mean I'm nearly 70 now so I've been dieting since I was about 18 and I'm thoroughly fed up with it so this is uh, liberating in many ways that I can um, take control without feeling restricted I know that if I venture into sweet things I'm on a very slippery slope very quickly yeah and so I'm and, and I like how I feel. I feel so much more energetic. I don't get that afternoon slump at three o'clock. I used to practically fall asleep yeah. at, at that time. I don't even feel tired at that yeah. time now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, what's not to like, really? It's just been amazing. Do you see, do you see yourself introducing any meat or fish back into your diet at some point in the future? No, I thought about fish because of the restrictions eating out. Mm-hmm. And I might I might do that when I'm out, but I don't really enjoy it. And because there's so many good vegetarian recipes out there, um I don't I definitely won't eat meat or chicken again. Um and I don't think I will eat fish. I, if if we're on holiday 
by the sea in this country, I might have some fish and chips. Yeah. But after what has happened over Christmas and how my body's reacted to these rogue foods that I've been introducing, like mince pies, and um, uh, I had a vegetable pie for my Christmas dinner, which was yummy, but the pastry felt like I was eating a book. It was so <laughs> sick. <laughs> But and my, we, body did, my body was going, why? What's all of this about? This doesn't yeah. feel right. And, and I did get terrible heartburn and reflux and felt bloated and my stomach stuck out. And my daughter did the same. She lifted her top up and she had this enormous stomach, which the following day had gone because it, all, the, all the gases that it – so no, don't think so. Yeah, we were saying before we came on air how we'd both been off plan for Christmas. and Oh, yes. I'm getting well, back on this week because this is the first week in January and now we're yeah. back on plan and yeah, yeah, no more slippery slopes till. Yeah. And life life is life, isn't it? Why why not enjoy it when you can and uh, just get back on track when it's over? It's fine. Yeah. So before we finish, Marina, is there anything that I haven't asked you or you would like to share with the listeners that we haven't spoken about? Um I don't think so. I'm I'm aware that what I do is probably not doable for a lot of people because I've got more time and I do a lot of cooking um, and I don't want people to feel um, that this isn't achievable. It's only achievable for people who've got more time and I recognise that I'm very fortunate in that respect. But I think particularly for working mums it can be really really challenging and um i think that if you just step back and think about how you can look after you before you look after others that that would be um that would be my wish really and i think um we we want to do the best for our families uh, sometimes at cost to us and uh that that needs we need to think about how we can support ourselves in that really mm. i think for young mums maybe who are listening i mean louise um she she said she i love this this quote because she said she was a sideline mum and i totally resonate with that where you take your kids to the park or whatever and you just sit and watch them because you're so overweight yeah you can't not only you can't do stuff or maybe you can but you're just so tired all the time mm-hmm. and you don't feel like you want to get involved and you just want to sit and watch mm-hmm. and I think when you make these changes and you can make them slowly there's nothing that says you have to go all in to start with then you find that energy and then you want to get involved with your kids I mean I was playing football with my kids to, when we had lockdown two years ago. We were out playing football on the decking and in the garden, which I would have never done when they were little. But we were doing it then because now I can. I can move easily. I can bend down. I can stand up, all those things. So I think, you know, for mums who think, oh, it's hard. Well, maybe it's hard. And maybe once you make the changes, it becomes easier. So. I would absolutely resonate with that. I mean, I had a similar experience last week. I had my grandson for the day before he went back to school. I bought him a basketball for Christmas 
and he wanted me to take him to the part where the basketball posts were and it was a bit of a miserable day and there were no other kids down there and I think oh my god I'm gonna have to shoot some basketball with him blow me I could I couldn't believe it (laughs) (laughs) whizzing up and down that court like a mad thing paid the price a bit with my knee the next day but you're right it absolutely is about what more you can give to your family by being better health in better health yourself definitely and he had a way of a time and so there 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 we were and it's such a something you can't see in the darkness of of being overweight and feeling so miserable yeah despair it's it's a horrible place to be um but there is light there and it and I've been amazed at how quickly um, the weight fell off with this and how good it made me feel too. So hopefully somebody will be inspired to give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have any social media stuff. So um, what we spoke about is that if anybody wants to particularly contact you, they can email me on our website. We've got a contact form so they can go there and fill it out and I will forward it to you. And then you can choose to reply. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. So before we finish, can you share your three top tips? Well, um, I think they change, don't they? Of course. <laughs> when we first um, spoke. Um, at the moment, my three top tips will be, um, number one, if, you're, if you have been prescribed or diagnosed rather as diabetic type 2, or if you are pre-diabetic this works this definitely works for you there's masses of data now that shows that low carb eating keto eating brings down your blood sugars and in turn helps with your blood pressure so that would be my number one anybody who and there's a lot of people out there now with pre-diabetes um this is doable and there's help out there there's masses of help out there online through your gp and other groups so it's my number one and there's a lot of younger people with diabetes yeah and it's because of the the habits we've got into with fast food um my number two would be for for anybody wanting to do this spend time to put yourself first your needs are your health your health is important and it's not about not doing the other stuff and not looking after other people but for example for me I stick to a a timetable because that's how I roll Um, and whatever happens whatever else is happening at 12 o'clock I'm sorting out what I'm having for my lunch. And yeah, I'm today I'm going to be out at, at, at one o'clock. So I'm I've got a little lunch ready to take with me when I go. So think about how you can look after you and put your needs first. And um thirdly, this is a lifestyle change, it's not a diet. This is how you will, if you get this working for you with the work that you're going to put in, this is how you're going to live your life for the rest of your life. And 
Um, it will change how you eat, when you eat, how you shop. Those are the systems around this that will support you. Um, so think about your lifestyle. I used to go and food shop at eight o'clock at night after a 12 hour day. You can imagine what my jolly looked like, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> All those comfort foods. Absolutely. Yeah. The only thing that looked mildly normal would be a soup. Everything else was junk. So, and it's much easier now. I know with um, the way we shop different, very differently now, but um, I think if you want your lifestyle to change, you have to change some of your habits within your lifestyle. So this is, this is a long-term job, a lifelong job. So that would be my third tip. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Uh, you. It's been great talking to you. And to you too. And there's a lot of um, similarities in our story, I think, and our experiences. So it's been good to, have um, a resonance so thank you you're welcome thank you i know people can be vegetarian and even vegan and be low carb some can even be keto but my opinion is that meat especially ruminant meat is the most nutrient dense food we can eat ancestrally i believe we would have eaten mostly meat with just a little vegetation I worry that vegetarians, especially vegans, are not getting all the essential amino acids that the body needs on a regular, even daily basis. We generally have a tendency to undereat protein. I love that Verena is now paying attention to the protein and she's getting plenty of animal source protein, which will have all the amino acids that we need. I think vegans need to supplement with branch chain amino acids. Overall, I think we are made to eat meat and fish. That would have been the staple of our diet. And I think Louise would would love Marina's approach with all the systems. For me, that would just be a nightmare. I don't think I'd be able to keep to the plan even for a day. I also love to have Marina talks to herself, telling herself, Slim people don't do that. Slim people don't have biscuits with their tea. I'm not sure if that's true, but it works for Verena in telling herself that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And the show notes can be found at um, fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash one, two, eight. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? 
Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.